Hi friends, this is Jeff. Thank you for tuning in to the Unchained Gospel Podcast, where we let the lion out of its cage in order to set the captives free from theirs. Over the course of the next seven episodes, we will be going verse by verse through the book of Colossians. Tonight we're going to be looking at the supremacy of Jesus Christ, which is very important because uh, we, as Christians, sometimes bring Jesus down to our level instead of allowing him to bring us up to his level. Um, and, and by doing that, we, we rob him of the authority over all creation that he has. And, and the world around us is trying to do that. They're trying to make Jesus just another God, lowercase g, or just another belief system that people have. But in reality, Jesus is all. He's everything. And he created all things, and we believe that he has the authority. Um, we cannot judge. He has the authority to judge and to love and to save. And we believe that it's in the name of Jesus Christ that all men can be saved. So uh, if you would just join me in prayer, and then we'll get started in verse 13 of, Col- of chapter 1 of Colossians. If you have your Bibles or smartphones, you can turn there as we pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for those that have come out tonight. I pray that they would be blessed, that the, the preaching of your word would go forth and, re- and become fruitful in all of our lives. Lord, we know your word does never return void, and that it always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent out. Thank you for those that have come that they happened upon us and they didn't know what was happening tonight, Lord. We're, we're thankful for them. We love them because we know that you love them. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that we would get something, whether we're believers or not, that we would get something from these truths that they would cause us to look deeper and find out what it is that you have for us in this world, the purpose for which we were created, and, and the, uh, that we would accomplish the plan that you have for us in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned, we, last week we looked at how the gospel of Jesus Christ is the seed that is planted and bears fruit in our lives, and then in the lives of each disciple of Jesus Christ, it should be bearing fruit as it continually increases and and just, uh, for lack of a better word, was it profligates? Is that a big word? That's uh, <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a big word. Um, but just continues to expand throughout the world. And even as we look around the world and see Christianity under attack, as people say, and people get all up in arms, uh, those of us who see uh, Jesus in control of the situation see that not only are Christians and churches being burnt down and Christians being attacked and being killed, but we're also seeing the gospel expanding even in those areas where Christianity is considered illegal. People are still going, they're still preaching the gospel, and the fruit of of Jesus Christ is still going forth even though we don't always see it. Um, And the reason is, is what we're going to talk about tonight, which is that Jesus Christ is first over all things, and he was actually, it's by Jesus Christ that all things were created. And all things exist and sustain. So um, we'll jump in in verse 13. It says, this is speaking of the Father, God. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, which is Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And what this is saying is that before we come to Jesus, before we have a saving knowledge and we are Uh, The penalty of our sins are paid for when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, his death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. We are under the domain of darkness. People often say things like, don't judge me, or who are you to judge? And people oftentimes 
picture God as being this big being in the sky with a lightning bolt waiting to judge you. But in reality, it says that when we sin, we're already under judgment. And Jesus Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And oftentimes we think of religion or we think of God as this big thou shalt not that's just waiting for us to break his commandments so he can do something terrible to us. And that's how people who don't believe in God or don't follow any system of religion kind of view God as this big being that's impersonal and and not intimate in any way in our lives. But in reality, it says that the Father took us from that dominion of darkness of sin and condemnation and he transferred us uh, one of the Bible translations says he, he translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love is one of the translations as well so what that means is the domain that it talks about of darkness it's the word in Greek exousia which means authority that was given not authority that was earned or uh, from the beginning so you know we know that when Adam and Eve sinned And they broke God's law that we essentially, man was created to have dominion over the earth. And he said, go and make, you know, bear fruit, as we talked about last week, and multiply. But when when, when mankind sinned through Adam and Eve, uh, we essentially gave the, the authority that we had over to Satan, over to the serpent, when we gave in to his temptation. And Jesus Christ comes to claim back the authority for, for himself. And that's what we're talking about. It says that domain of darkness was authority that was relinquished over to the enemy. And when it says the kingdom of his beloved son, that word kingdom is a different word, which means the right to have authority. He actually is born with that right. It's, it's the idea of the heir to the throne, not of his anything that he's done, but it's his rightful position to be the ruler of all things. And that's why he's going to transition and start to talk about how Jesus Christ is actually God personified. In, you know, for lack of a better word. And when it says in verse 15, Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus Christ. And we, for those of you that know, uh, you know, that follow along with Christianity or whatever, um, we understand that Jesus Christ is the son of God, but he's also fully God. And he's God in the flesh. It says in the, the gospel of John chapter 1, that the word of God was in the beginning with God and the word was God. And that's Jesus Christ because it says the word became flesh and lived among us, decided to make his home with his creation. And that's Jesus Christ. So Jesus, when, when his disciples saw him and when people touched him and held him and saw the look in his eyes and heard the love in his voice and saw the tears and the sweat and the pain that he suffered as a human being, they were seeing the eyes of love of the creator God. They were seeing God in the flesh. And that's the exact opposite of the impersonal God that we often picture when we, you know, when we think about religion or God's up here and I have to do all these things to get back to God and make him happy because he's a grumpy guy and he doesn't like me doing what I want. He only wants me to follow this strict list of rules and, and do's and don'ts. But it's the exact opposite because God knows that when we have dominion over our own lives that we ruin them. And if you if you guys know people and maybe you've come from a tough background, it's, it's the idea of if my five-year-old son got a power drill and decided to just go wild with it, God forbid what would happen to him. You know, like he has no control, even though he wants to do everything that I can do as his father, he has no understanding of his incapacity to rule over that 
that power drill, essentially. And he could do dangerous things and harm himself, you know, irreparably. It's the same idea that when we say to God, who created everything, I want to run my own life, it's the same idea as my five-year-old wanting to have a power drill. We don't have the authority to run our own lives because God created us and he's the ruler over all things. And it says in verse uh, 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And that, that idea of firstborn doesn't mean that Jesus was created and that God gave birth to him. And, and some religions say that Jesus is less than God and he's just, you know, kind of like God's essence, but not fully God. What this idea of firstborn has to do with when you talk about it in, in regards to the Bible is the position of the inheritance. When you're the firstborn back in these days, the firstborn got twice the amount of all the other children. It was, it was a position of uh, priority, essentially, when it says firstborn there. And Jesus, has the, he should be first in everything. It says in verse 16, For by him all things were created. So anything that we see that's been created, it's by Jesus Christ. When God in the beginning said, let there be light, the words that were coming out of him, that was the word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. By that word, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, we don't think about that oftentimes. We only think about what we can see. We don't think about the fact that there are things beyond this physical uh, realm that we see. You know, we know about, if you ever thought about like television over the airwaves, like who found out that there were airwaves there that television could run over? You know what I mean? Like that stuff was out there. Who created that? Who made that? That's, that's something that God has created and ordained for mankind. And it's really interesting. It says that the things that are invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So anything that God created was for him because he would take pleasure in it. Just like we as mankind were created by God and it says that in Genesis 1, God said to himself, let us make man in our image. So we, as human beings, were created in the very image of God. And if you're familiar with the, the Bible in any way, we see the enemy, this, this arch rival of God that is always trying to redirect or damage God's people. You know, Adam and Eve, he lured them. Even if you've never gone to church before, you probably know the story of Adam and Eve. The little snake comes and there's an apple there and you see it in the kids' books and the kids' Bibles and stuff like that. He was trying to get mankind to say, I have the authority to do what I want. So I'm going to take that thing that God said I can't have, even though God said it will lead to death. And what did they do? They did that thing. And the very image of God was defamed because mankind took the authority upon himself and said, I'm going to be like God myself. I'm not going to live out what God has given me and enjoy God and put him on the throne and let me be in submission to him. I'm going to elevate myself to his throne, which is what Satan did uh, from the beginning. And it says in verse 17, and he is before all things. That means he existed from the beginning. His origin story is something that we will never get to because it was before time. Time didn't exist yet. And in him, all things hold together. That means that if you think about it, and we're going to talk about it briefly, that Jesus Christ, as you know, was crucified on a cross. All the, all the created elements, if you think about the iron or whatever those nails were made out of, he created those elements, visible and invisible, all these things, and he held them together as they were going through his flesh because he loves 
mankind who had condemned themselves by rebelling against God, God said, I won't allow my children, those that I've created in my own image, to be separated from me by their sin. I'm going to take on the likeness of mankind, which is crazy if you think about it, because we are always trying to make ourselves out to be the God of our life. The God at work, the God in our family, whatever it is. We always want to put ourselves in charge of everything. God, who was in charge of everything, came down as a servant of all man. It says in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, that even though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not hold on to his godliness. He relinquished it and became a man so that he would obey God to the point of dying on the cross for mankind. That's a paraphrase, but that's pretty powerful stuff to say that the way that God would solve the problem of man trying to become like God would to, was for God to become like man. It's just a crazy paradox that we'll never quite understand. But um, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. It's not the Pope, unfortunately. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. It's not your pastor. It's not... Um, it's not just like that big clergy thing. You know, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And what Jesus says is the most important thing that we should do. It's not what your denomination says. It's not what this person that you grew up thinking was really smart about the Bible says. We as Christians have been given the ability to read the Bible and to understand what it means. We don't have to go through someone else to understand what God has for us, which is really important. And that's not to diminish the role of, that God has placed people in, in authority within the church and, and that are very wise to interpret the Bible. But I think sometimes we, we separate ourselves from God to the extent that we think that only these special people can understand what God really wants from them. And that's not true. Uh, it says in verse 18, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent which means that he might be first place in everything. And the application for me as well as for you is, what is there in my life that God does not take first place in? Is it at my job? Is God the first thing that I think about? Is God the one I'm trying to, uh, to show forth when I do my work? Is it in my family? Is Jesus Christ first in my family? If he's first over all creation, if he created the world, how can I wake up every morning and say, I'm going to do it my way? It's just, it's impossible. It, it doesn't work that way. And it's important that we realize that, again, God doesn't want to be the ruler over us to, to be our slave master, to make us, you know, he doesn't want to whip us into shape. He's given us everything we need to live according to his will. All we have to do is submit to him and yield our lives over to him because he takes greater care of them than we ever could. And what I think is really important is we have to remember that every issue, every struggle that we have in our lives, it ultimately comes down to one thing, and it's a positional problem. We are trying to be on the throne of our own lives. And if Jesus Christ created all things and is holding all things together, who, who am I to say, okay, God, I got this. This is me. I'll take care of this business. You go over there. I'll see you on Sunday morning. It doesn't really work that way. God wants to be in every part of our lives, not because he's nosy, not because he is a, is a, a big boss man that we always picture him to be. God wants to be intimate with us. He wants us to come to him and tell him all the things that we don't like about him, all the things that we don't understand about him, all the things that we don't agree with in the Bible. 
God wants to hear those things. Because he's not like Tinkerbell, and if we don't believe in him, he's less, he less, exists less. Which I think sometimes we think about God's like up there, like, I hope enough people believe in me so I can continue to be God. It doesn't work that way. You know, and I think it's encouraging for us as Christians to remember who's on the throne and who has the authority in this world. So that when we see things that don't seem to add up and we get worried about what Jesus is allowing to happen, we have to remember he's in control. He understands what needs to be done. The other thing we have to remember is even if you don't believe that Jesus is God, even if you don't believe that he has all the authority, that doesn't mean that he doesn't. So, uh, you know, it's just a challenge for all of us to start to doubt and we start to say, well, I don't see Jesus in my life. I don't see how he has authority over all things. I don't see how he wants to be on the throne. It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't mean that he doesn't already have that. You know, so sometimes we think like, oh, that person doesn't believe. Oh, no, maybe Jesus is less in control or whatever. You know, it's not for us to doubt of those things. So the reason that it's important that we kind of come back to this idea of Jesus being high and above all things is because sometimes Jesus can become our homeboy. We can make him like our best friend, which he is, which is even more amazing when you put it in context of what he actually has done and what the fact that he's created the entire world and holds it all together. When he says, I want to spend time with them. I would say, don't you have more things on your to-do list than spending time with me? You know, you got to hold the whole world together. The amazing thing to me is that he chooses to be intimate with me. It's not like Jesus Jesus just doesn't have anything better to do. And he wants to hang out with me. So sometimes we can go a little bit too far with that. And by doing that, and I understand what, that, what why people say things like Jesus is my homeboy and stuff like that. Because they want that intimate relationship with him. But when we do that, we have to be careful that we're not robbing him of his authority and supremacy in our life. We're not bringing him down to our level. We are allowing him to take us up to his. You know, he has all the authority. And it says that he's actually given us the authority to go out into all the world and to proclaim the gospel, to heal people, to do all these amazing things to show God's love for them. But we don't want to take it lightly. We don't want to bring God down to the depths of our you know, mundane life. We want God to have the ruler, uh, I'm sorry, the throne space in our life. That's a terrible way to say it. But <laughs> we want God to sit on the throne of our lives in everything that we do. Even the simple things, you know, you would think that, that, you know, well, in my family, how can God be first in my life? There are a lot of ways, but sometimes I think we, we compartmentalize and we keep God out of certain areas, but he should have his place in all things because he's holding it together. So, you know, just to, for any of you that are going through a hard time and you feel like you're being pulled apart at the seams, the only reason you're still attached at the seams is because Jesus Christ is holding you together. So we have to remember that. It says that by, by him, all things hold together. So if you feel like you're being pulled apart, go to the one who holds it all together. Jesus Christ is that one. He created it all. He has authority over all things. And when we submit to him, sometimes... He actually gives us a little bit of insight, gives us a little bit of wisdom to show us the light at the end of the tunnel. Not all the time, but sometimes he gives us that extra bit of uh, motivation to keep pressing on, to keep pushing through the hardships in our life. He doesn't make all the problems go away. And oftentimes people say that about Jesus. And then someone says, that sounds good. I'll follow Jesus. And then a problem happens and they go, false advertising. And they leave Jesus behind. And he's like, hey, I never said that all your problems are going to go away. I just said that I'm going to hold you together in those storms, in those trials, in those tough things. Because this world is the visible. But remember that Jesus also created the invisible. So 
when we, th- we talk about our hope, we talked about it last week, that the reason they were bearing fruit in their life is because they had their hope secured in heaven. They understood that this world was not their home. And um, there's a verse in Romans 8 that says, that I reckon, in the King James, I think it says reckon. I don't think it says that in, uh, in every verse, <laughs> every version, I'm sorry. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And it says as we go on, For the creation was subjected to futility. That was when Adam and Eve took the fruit and sinned. All of God's perfect creation was marred by that sinful, rebellious act. It says, because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So what is he talking about here? He's saying that the earth is still suffering the effects of man's rebellion, of sin. And that's the visible things that we see. But there's an invisible world, whether you want to believe it or not, there is, where God is in complete control of what's happening in the visible world because he created it all. And we have the eternal security when we place our faith in Jesus Christ that no matter what's going on down here, we are linked to God. We are being conformed into his image, just like Jesus Christ is the very image of God. It says that God is, he's prepared for us to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So just like when he created man in the likeness of himself back in the beginning and then sin destroyed that perfect image of God he's working to put us back into his image by putting us conforming us into his son Jesus who is the very image of God like it says and I'll just read this last verse for you guys and we'll be done I appreciate your patience and hopefully uh, you could hear me screaming Uh, (laughs) the beginning of Hebrews the book of Hebrews which is an awesome book but it's really dense and really heavy And I don't recommend that this be the first book that you read in the Bible because there's so much that's referred back to other books within this book. So read the Gospel of John or something. That's a little bit easier to wrap your head around. Um, But this says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So when we see the Old Testament and you hear words like Jeremiah, Isaiah, all these things, those are the prophets of God. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And when you actually put the Greek together, it just says he's spoken to us in Son. So he, instead of sending these messengers, he came down himself in the form of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to preach the message of salvation, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is the best part. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ has died for everyone's sin, past, present, and future. And if you put your faith in the fact that he has paid the penalty and we are forgiven, then you can be saved. And the best part is, is that after Jesus did that, he sat down. That meant that his work was done. He said on the cross that it is finished. That means that mankind does not have to do anything 
to earn God's favor. Mankind just has to believe in the one that he sent to save us, which is Jesus Christ. That's way easier than following a list of rules of do's and don'ts. We place our faith in Jesus, and when we welcome Jesus into our lives, guess what? He's going to be the boss because he's the firstborn. He's the authority. He is God. But you'll understand that as you yield yourself to him and you say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to interact with my family who I can't stand? How do you want me to treat my boss who constantly pushes me out of every promotion that I deserve? How do you want me to live? You'll start to understand that it's by being submitted to his authority that we actually experience true freedom and true life.